Hi, I'm Amanda Corris. Welcome to Just Sustainability's special feature on socially engaged philosophy at the intersection of sustainability and social justice. of my conversation with Dr. Evelyn Brister, Professor of Philosophy at Rochester Institute of Technology, we talked about the idea of field philosophy as a kind of socially engaged philosophy. In the second half, I was interested to hear about her new paper on the topic of introducing a genetically modified American chestnut and what that might mean for sustainable forestry and current conservation values. Actually, the idea of Putting a genetically modified organism out in the wild intentionally is a pretty radical idea. Um, it's radical enough that some people strongly oppose it and others are really passionate about supporting it. And when I first heard about it, it was because I was working on um, restoring this local forested park and we had a couple of dying chestnuts. And we were wondering, you know, at what point can we replace these chestnuts with chestnuts that would survive? And research, we found that there was this genetically modified variety that was not going to be ready for a while. In fact, that was about 10 years ago. And it's still not ready. The idea, so chestnuts have been missing from our forest. They were an important tree species, but they've been missing since the 20s, 30s, 40s. And if we could restore them, that would be an important component to forest health. We've lost a lot of sure. biodiversity in our forest. There are a lot of trees that are under threat from various pests. Um, depending on where you live, you've probably heard about the emerald ash borer or maybe some of the other threats. Um, and this project has developed a genetically modified tree that would be able to defend itself against a blight, a fungus that's widespread throughout the environment. So chestnuts used to be all along the East Coast, all through the Appalachian Mountain Range, up into Canada. Um, but the blight came from Asia and it's become endemic. So it will the blight continues to live even when there are no chestnuts because it can live on oaks and in the oh, wow. and leaf litter. So if we had this genetically modified chestnut, when the chestnuts became infected, then they would be able, they would form um, a, a sore or a canker, and then the tree would be able to protect itself and seal that off. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't like kill the fungus exactly. It just prevents it from killing the tree. Um, and in order to do that, the biotechnologist introduced a gene from wheat into the chestnut genome. Um, but that makes it a transgenic. Right, that's got it's got a gene from another species in it, and the goal is to release it into the wild, and enough of them all up and down the eastern seacoast with enough genetic diversity that they would thrive and come back over time, over the course of it would probably take centuries, but that we would see chestnuts in eastern forests again. Yeah. I think it's an admirable goal, and it's a, I see it as a goal that's for the sake of the forests. Right. Yeah, because there are numerous advantages in terms of biodiversity and ecosystem health, right, if the, if the chestnut were reintroduced. Yeah, and yeah. we can also talk about the advantages to us, that chestnut sure. used to be an important timber, um, that it provides 
nuts that people can eat if they want to, can forage. But I think that the real advantage is not the advantage to humans, it's the advantage to the forest. And insofar as it's for us, it's because having resilient and healthy forests is a, is a good that we appreciate. Yeah. And this, so this project has been going on for a number of decades, right? Oh, yes. There are, yeah. I think they're almost 30 years into it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So long-term. there's a lot of work that's long-term. gone. In. And then restoring chestnuts would be long-term. You would sure, like, have yeah. to breed chestnuts. You would have to breed them with enough genetic diversity in order for them to survive. And then you would have to put them in the forest. And then you wait for them to grow yeah. and spread. <laughs> Which takes how many decades? This is not not the sort of project that you expect to see completed. Right. Um, But it's radical because it's radical because it's putting an engineered product out into the wild. And that separates it really significantly from an agricultural use of biotechnology where we, it's not that, the, the fear with agricultural biotechnology is that genes that are engineered will be accidentally introduced into the wild mm-hmm. and spread. This would be the first organism that would be released into the wild intentionally and not for the sake of human health, but for the sake sure. of like preserving nature conservation. And so in that way, I think it's connected to other, um, other possible uses of biotechnology that include um, saving endangered species, like maybe saving populations of rhinoceros using the possible cloning tech. Um, right now, there's recently been a clone of a black-footed ferret to try increase the um, diversity in that endangered species. Uh, and in the future, this might be something to consider for corals hmm. in biotechnology in some way to preserve corals, which right now somewhat threatened but the idea is that in 20 years the predictions are that in 20 years corals be even more and and that we may not be able to save them without um somehow intervening to allow them to survive in more ocean warmer yeah yeah so so there's an important distinction there right as you mentioned the sort of the agricultural gmo crops that we're used to hearing about but then this seems to be a completely different category of organisms that are introduced is really sort of solely for the sake of the ecosystem, right? There's, there's no, <laughs> there's no money to be made off of the chestnuts, uh, you know, um, thriving all, all along the East coast. So, so do you think that that's an important factor in how we think about the ethical considerations for this type of project, especially in comparison to other types of genetically modified organisms? Yeah, I think it's absolutely important. I think so. My, I'm not particularly as just personally um, in favor of agricultural biotechnology in most cases. But my objections, my own, I know people have lots of different objections, but my own objections are not so much about um, what we've done to those genes to engineer them because we've changed genes of agricultural plants and radical ways through artificial selection as well. Sure. But it's my objection, my primary objection to agricultural biotechnology are the social, the social disadvantages that it's caused yeah. to people around the world um, and the way that it's changed agriculture mm-hmm. and, and yeah. And the way it's changed food systems. Yeah. It reminds me of, 
chapter in Science by the People by Aya Kamira and Abby Kinchi on GMO corn in Mexico. Sort of a similar discussion there about how that's impacted the local communities and people who have been growing corn in particular way for centuries, right? And and the GM corn coming in and wreaking basically wreaking havoc on the traditional ways of of growing and harvesting corn there. So, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think yeah. that I th- I think that in our in agricultural areas that genetic technology has not it's not furthering social justice in most cases. I mean, there may, there may be some ways in which it's promoting food security. Um, and that's important. That's an important justice consideration, but it's not, it's not being done. We don't pursue agricultural biotechnology for the sake of supporting justice. Right. And in, and in many cases it undermines justice. So I think that's a, that's a big difference. It's certainly something that, you know, if, if you have the idea that genetic modification is linked to injustice, then that is that would be an argument that's used against the genetic chestnut. I don't see it working that way. And on my view, it's the it's supporting forest health and supporting the resilience of our forest that is the thing that is linked to justice. Sure. Um, yeah. But it, you know, it does, and the the researchers have promised that they will make this. Um, Freely, the the intellectual property freely available, and not only that, but since it goes into the wild, it will be there for for people, you know, to take the seeds without any ownership considerations. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important consideration here. Is that this is very much a public project, right? I mean, you mentioned that it will take volunteers all around the country well not all i guess on the yeah, east coast mostly <laughs> i don't know if they'd thrive on the west coast but to to actually go out and plant yeah, them which makes it of, it would take a lot of support a lot of money a lot of people right yeah but i know that the most significant or um opposition to the genetically modified test chestnut is from people who are concerned that it would be used as a wedge with regulators mm-hmm. to pave the way for private uses of genetic modification in trees. So right now there are uh, there are some trees that are approved cultural use, but there there are no there are no GM trees that are used for biofuels or wood. Those so there's the possibility of developing like eucalyptus trees that could um, grow faster. Um and the trees that could be used as a source of biomass. And so the concern is that once you approve one tree, uh, that the regulations would then approve another. I don't believe that that's the case. Um, I know that there a lot of people have distrust in government agencies, but the way that the regulator, regulatory process works, I don't see that by approving a tr- one tree, all the other trees will necessarily approve. I think uh, the regulatory process is work by case basis, right? Now. Right. Yeah. And it does seem as though the regulators are more concerned about this as a, as an being used in conservation than mm-hmm. they otherwise would be. Yeah. 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 So that's the primary consideration. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. We've reached the end of my conversation with Dr. Evelyn Brister, professor of philosophy at Rochester Institute of Technology. We talked about doing philosophy out in the field and how this practice brings to light social and ethical issues in scientific research. We also talked about using biotechnology to improve forest health and resilience, 
as well as the importance of analyzing how biotechnology can bring both harms and benefits to people and ecosystems. I hope you're enjoying our special feature on socially engaged philosophy at the intersection of sustainability and social justice, and stay tuned for more. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.